Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. So growing up, I was really good at performing. Not like acting performing. In fact, I probably couldn't act to save my life. But I had this like performance bent to my life. I uh, did well in school, graduated near the top of my class, was typically the captain in sports. I got elected uh, to a school office that I didn't run for. (laughs) And then I turned it down. I was leader in youth group, all that stuff. And I was wired in such a way that I thought, you know what, I'll just work really hard and outperform everybody around me. And what I found was myself getting worn out and burnt out. And I didn't realize that I was actually living from the wrong place. You see, in Christianity, we, we, we understand what rebellion is, everybody, right? Like there's a whole list of things that we're not supposed to do. And we know if we do those things, supposedly they'll harm us. They won't be good for us. We'll get in trouble. Maybe God won't like us, whatever it is, right? Like we, we get that part of it. But what we tend to do in religion is that we celebrate performance. And what we are doing actually is we're reinforcing this lie that somehow you have to earn your way into God's favor. That somehow if you're a really good boy, a really good girl, then now God's going to like you and things will go well for you. In the beginning, what Jesus, what God did is that he created a garden and in that garden, he put two trees. He put the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in that garden, What he did is he said, hey, you're supposed to eat from the tree of life. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what most of us have found ourselves doing actually is not eating from the tree of life when we give our lives to Jesus. Instead, we move branches in the same tree. We move from rebellion to religion, from evil to good and we find ourselves missing life. Anybody, can you identify with that? It's like we've been given two roads to walk on. And one is living my life to please God. Have you ever felt that? Like, I've got to get everything right so that God will be pleased with me, so that he'll like me, so that things will go well for me. And it's miserable, isn't it? How many of you know that performing, quite honestly, that being good is miserable? Right? And it's not any fun either. And what we find ourselves doing is trying to to do all of the right things in order to get eternal life and not recognizing that Jesus actually came to put eternal life in us here and now. You see, we can live out of this place of performing for God's approval or we can live out of trust that he's already pleased with me. I'd like to propose to you that most of the church 
lives over here. And the reason why I think we live over here is that we've given in to a transactional version of the gospel. There was a survey my friend Carlos was telling me about. He said there were 50,000 Christians surveyed. And the question they were asked was this. Is grace about the forgiveness of sins, only about the forgiveness of sins, so that you can go to heaven? 90% said yes. 90% of Christians believe that God's grace is simply favor for the undeserving. Unmerited favor. And that the work of grace really is something that you give your life into when you say yes to Jesus, but you don't experience until you die. What I found was this. The reason why performance was so attractive to me is I believed that we were saved by grace, but we stayed in God's good graces by our performance. Yeah? It's like I just have to try really hard. Like it was like the invitation to relationship with Jesus, this grace thing was free on the front end, but it was really a bait and switch, right? Now I've got to try really, really hard to maintain my salvation. Like I've been talking with people recently who have been saying stuff like, yeah, what I was taught growing up is that if I committed a sin and then died before I asked for forgiveness for that specific sin, then I may not make it into heaven. Talk about the terror that that puts you in. And so what happens is we live not with a healthy fear of God, but with a phobia of God. And we wonder why people are terrified in church and so often live at way less than what God has called them to. And so we have this idea that basically we start by faith and we continue by works, right? You know, this isn't a new idea. We didn't invent this in the Western church. Maybe we've perfected it, right? Like Steve would say, it's a multi-billion dollar business. How to be a good Christian. But what if the goal of this whole life is not about how to be a good Christian? In fact, that sounds kind of boring to me. But this wasn't a new thing. Maybe, we, maybe we've perfected it, but the early church found themselves with this exact same problem. In fact, you'll find it in some form addressed in nearly all of Paul's letters. 
Galatians, I think, is probably the best at addressing it. So go with me to Galatians. We'll look at chapter one of Galatians. Got a new Bible, so bear with me. I lost mine, actually. So if somebody finds a gray IV, I'll take it, but. I like new Bibles too. They're fun. Uh, so Galatians 1.6, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Amen? Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel than, than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's a big deal. Paul wasn't quick to curse. As we have already said, now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you another gospel, another one than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So in the early church, there was this idea, this movement of folks called the Judaizers. And what the Judaizers did is they believed this, that it's okay for you to give your life to Jesus, but what we want to do, what we have to do is put you back under the law. And so you've got to obey all of the law, all 613 commands, plus all of the other fence laws that surrounded that. There was a lot that you had to do. In fact, you were going to be a professional rule keeper if you gave your life to Jesus and followed these folks. And what they found is that what happens when you give your life to Jesus, but then try to live by the rules, what you find is that Jesus, in your mind, is no longer your savior, the rules are. In fact, let me say it this way. Maybe it's not just that Jesus is no longer your savior, and maybe not just the rules are, but it's actually you that is. It's your good behavior that somehow has something to do with your salvation. If you want to find yourself miserable, live that way. You see, when we begin to believe that grace is nothing more than unmerited favor from God, then we find ourselves living on the good branch of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, stuck in religion. But when we understand what Paul is saying here in the book of Galatians, what he's saying to us is that there's actually a way to live that's called grace. Now, here's the problem with our current understanding of grace. In the church, we're slightly divided on this, and my perspective is everybody's missing it. <laughs> it's either like this, it's unmerited favor from God. I don't deserve it. In fact, I'm nothing but a low-down, rotten, scoundrel sinner who's hanging on by a thread of grace dangled over a hot fire. And it's only if God really likes me and I behave and don't do something to, to cut that little thread that I make it into heaven, right? And these folks tend to look at people over on this other side that I'll talk about in a second as what we would call hyper-grace people. 
Anybody heard that term, hypergrace? Do you know that actually hypergrace is in the Bible? And it's not used negatively, by the way. But the idea, the caricature of hypergrace is this, that you do whatever you want and that God will just cover it all. And that it's all health, wealth, prosperity, everything's going to go great in your life. And what we find is that's not actually the gospel that Paul preached that Jesus made a way for us to live into. Right? But when we begin to understand what grace is, I think the best biblical definition for grace I could get is this. That grace is the empowering presence of God. Enabling us to do or to be all that God created us to be and to do all that God created us to do. The empowering presence of God. See, here, here's the problem with the unmerited favor thing. The unmerited favor thing is so focused on us and our performance. It's unmerited, right? So it's like, oh yeah, you're just a mess and you don't deserve that. But but it doesn't understand what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 is that I received grace and it was not without effect. Meaning he was saying, I received grace and it affected me. It transformed me. And so when I receive grace from God, when I give my life to Jesus, when I surrender to him, what happens is, is that it transfers me not simply out of darkness and into light, but out of orphanhood and into sonship. And so now I'm a son and I'm not just the son of some bum. I'm the son of the king of kings. And if I'm the son of the king of kings, that makes me and you royalty. You're royalty. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, hey, you're royalty. And so let me further see if I can dismantle the unmerited favor thing. If I'm royalty, then I get what I get, not based on my performance, but based on my heritage, based on my family, based on my father. I used to say this, I think I picked it up from a, a really famous uh, Christian financial guy. Somebody would ask me how I'm doing, and I'd say, oh, better than I deserve. Did you know that Jesus gave his life for you so that you could be in his grace, so that you could be transformed and brought into his family? And what Ephesians 1.5 says is that now you have access to all the treasure of heaven. Every spiritual blessing is now yours. It's your right by inheritance. And so, is it possible that it's unmerited? Yes. You didn't earn it, but you've been brought into the family of God and his goodness towards you is absolutely a gift. It's not a reward that you would earn, but it is your right by your new birthright. 
that God is actually wanting to be good to you and favorable towards you, that he's making all of himself available to you to give you life, to strengthen you, to supply you, to take good care of you. And so if grace is the empowering presence of God, here's the key for that. God never leaves you. He told us that he would never leave us or forsake us. You go into the darkest depths of hell, you'll find him there with you. You do the most egregious sin acts, rebellion against God. He didn't leave you. He went right there next to you. The empowering presence of God always with you. And it's enabling you to be all that God created you to be. That's huge. Ephesians 4, 7, one of my favorite passages, so often overlooked. It says that Jesus, that that grace came, that we all receive grace as Christ apportioned it. And here's what that means. If we understand this, that one, everybody gets grace. But what it's not saying is that everybody gets the same grace. It's not generic grace. The word there translated into apportioned is actually custom-made grace. Oh, come on. Here's what that means. Is that there is custom-made grace on your life. That that God so set it up that he, he knit you together in your mother's womb. You were born, and if you're like me, you started jacking that purpose up from the very beginning. Like you didn't need any help. And then what he did is he said, hey, I've got grace for that. I'm going to cover you with that grace. In fact, I'm not just going to give you grace that covers your sin. The grace is going to cover the damage that your sin did, but it's also going to give you everything that you're lacking so that you can become who I called and created you to become. And then it gets even better. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's craftsmanship, his handiwork, his poetry, his custom-made work of art created in Christ, meaning that you'll never get who you were created to be apart from Christ, created in Christ for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. What that means is that there is a flow of grace coming from heaven. It is the river of life that proceeds from the throne of God. And it's got in it everything you need to live the life that God created you to live. You lack nothing. Now, here's the problem that we often run into when we start talking about grace. Well, a couple of problems. One is we think that if I'm under grace, then I can do whatever I want. And people begin to see that as a license to sin. You ever thought that? I did. I I have willingly rebelled against God knowing that I could ask for forgiveness and that I would get it. That's called immaturity. For a few reasons. One, the reason why I would willingly disobey God is that I didn't believe that he was actually for me. I thought that he was holding out on me. 
I didn't know him. I didn't understand his character and who he was and realizing that everything that he prohibits in my life is actually for my protection and my promotion, not because he doesn't want me to have life. And so grace is not a license to sin. But what it doesn't mean is that he won't forgive you if you do. He already decided nearly 2,000 years ago that he's going to forgive you. But grace is actually more than a license to sin. It's an invitation to relationship. And when I see it that way, it's not that I'm breaking the law. It's that I'm actually taking advantage of a person. It's like, whoa, he wants better for me. And he's given me his life. I'm going to honor him with the way that I live. And I'm going to trust him. And when I come across lack or the perception of lack, that I'm going to recognize there's actually grace flowing from heaven for me to lack nothing. So that feeling of lack actually is a lie because he's already provided everything that I need. And sometimes we find ourselves living stuck in that lie. But what I find is that when I press into him or, or, or better yet, when I throw myself into the middle of the river of his grace and get into that flow that there's incredible life that takes good care of me. And so grace isn't something simply that I could take advantage of because it's actually his grace that changed my perspective on grace because it's changing me. And now I realize, whoa, his, his grace is way better than I thought. It's not just about my sin. It's actually about my transformation. The, the second thing that we would believe, and this would fit maybe into that caricature of hyper grace stuff, is that if I've got his grace on my life, then I should never struggle or suffer. You ever thought that? Right? Like we probably have all thrown fits with God. And be like, God, if you're so good, if you really like me, then I, this wouldn't be so hard. Right? We've been there? Me? Just me, all by myself. That's all right. I, uh, I took the name for the sermon series, Flow State, from the work of a Czech uh, psychologist. He came out with a book in 1979. And the idea is this. That flow state is when all of the stuff in your body, your concentration, your energy, all your endorphins, all that stuff puts you into the sweet spot where you can like create well, where whatever you need to get done just flows out of you. Have you, have you ever been there? It's like, whoa, I'm like firing on all cylinders today. This feels really good. And maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's four hours, but it's like, whoa. I believe that's actually a picture of what it looks like to live in grace. That what happens when we put, position ourselves into the flow of grace, that it puts us in this place that life flows from. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it makes your circumstances easy. 
my goodness, read Paul's life. How many times do you have to be shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned to stop preaching grace if it's about your circumstances? That guy's circumstances were bad. In fact, he downplays the time they stoned him and threw him out the city. And he was actually dead. And his disciples, who were obviously operating under grace, raised him from the dead, brought him back into the city, and he started preaching again. That guy's not concerned about your circumstances. I've told you guys this story before. It just rings in my ears all the time. I was telling a friend, how, he asked, how are you doing? And I said, under the circumstances, I'm doing pretty well. He said, Joel, what are you doing under there? Yeah. <laughs> you see, grace is way better than our circumstances. It's the power of God to happen to our circumstances instead of our circumstances happen to us. Absolutely. But it's the very strength of heaven, the energy of heaven flowing so that no matter what's going on around you, you can be okay. You can have the peace and the joy that he came to give you. And actually, circumstantial peace and joy is really cheap when you experience the real thing. And that's what happens when we begin to embrace the flow of God's grace in our lives, is that he begins to work everything together for our good. In fact, what Colossians, nope, sorry, Philippians 1, 6 says, is that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's what that means for you. He's still at work and he's still doing it. And you don't have to try to make it happen. You see, what happens is we get all excited and we start saying, okay, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do everything I can. And we find ourselves out of the tree of life and into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and living out of the good works side, out of religion. Like, I'm just going to make it all happen now. In fact, we take what are meant from God to be very means of grace, ways that we access grace and we turn those things into religion and we start living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's what I mean. I love spending time with Jesus. I wake up extra early. My kids now have to leave the house by seven in the morning and I try really hard to wake up by 5.30 so that I can have some time with Jesus. Because that Reading scripture, prayer, and worship are means of grace. They're ways to access grace. Just like traditionally communion, baptism are means of grace. There's actually spiritual life when approached appropriately that flows out of those things. But what we often do is we try to make religion out of those very means of grace. And we wonder why there's no life in it. We do it with church. This place, our corporate time of worship together, is meant to be a means of grace that God would put his very spiritual energy inside of you, regardless of how bad the preaching is, 
and that you would have life. And what we do often with our bad attitudes, thank God it doesn't happen ever in Sozo Church, but often with our bad attitudes is we show up thinking, I've got to go to church today. And what we do is we cut ourselves off by taking what should be a gift, what Lauren was saying, can you believe we get to do this? And to, oh man, can't believe I got to do this. And there's actually grace flowing from heaven. That God actually today wants to speak to you and give you strategy for your week at the start of your week, Sunday morning. That he wants to speak to you life for your struggle today. But what happens is, is that when we bring our bad attitudes to those types of things, we cut ourselves off from grace and we turn it into religion. But I believe this, that God is wanting to wake us up to his grace and that we would recognize, man, there is life in him forevermore. All that we need. Stand with me. I want to lead you in just a really quick spiritual exercise that I'm going to make up as we go. <laughs> just put your hands in front of you. This is just an act of receiving. Say, God, I trust in your grace. Thank you that you have life for me. Today, I receive your grace. Your strength, your life. Now just open up your heart. Let him speak to you. When we say speak to you in church, we mean that in the loosest way possible. He may give you an impression in your mind or in your heart. Sometimes we sense his work with our physical senses. That's not a requirement. I believe he wants to give you an upgrade today. What's your name in the red sweater? Heather, you're awesome. God loves you. As I was just scanning the room while you're praying, I just, what I saw was that he was putting a crown on your head. And he's saying, Heather, you're a daughter of the King. You're royalty. And he loves you. He's so proud of you. He's excited that you're his daughter. It's like God's speaking to your heart right now. Just let him speak to you.
Miley, God wants you to know that He's so proud of you. He sees you. I feel like there's some really big steps ahead of you. I see these big, big footprints and it looks as if they're too big for you to physically make it. And what God's doing is He's saying, I'm walking with you, with you and I'm going to get you into your destiny. And there's some things that He's put in your heart. He's spoken to you and you're like, how can I get from here to there? There's like no way, like, I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. All those things start to like well up. And I just want you to know, he wants you to know that he's got you. He's got you. And you're not on your own. So God, I just thank you that you love to pour out grace on your kids. if you'd like our ministry team to pray with you, they'd love that opportunity. Maybe you have need in your body, like you're really struggling with sickness, or maybe you're just struggling with peace in your mind, or maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Like you've, maybe you've been doing the rebellion thing, or maybe you've tried religion and it's left you worn out. And you just need to say, hey, I just wanna surrender to Jesus. I want to trust in his grace for me. This morning would be a great time to do that. Our team would love to pray with you. So ministry team, you, you all can come on forward. If you'd like to receive prayer, really for anything, they'd love to pray with you. I think there's maybe a couple of people here. And the reason why you're here is that you're hungry for the Holy Spirit. Like you need the very life of heaven God's given you his spirit, but you, you, you want to be immersed in that. You want to be baptized in his spirit. I'm not talking about water baptism. I'm saying you want to know the very power of God in your life. If that's you, our team would love to pray with you. God wants to meet you in that place. In fact, the hunger for that is a sign that he's already starting it. So Lord, we just thank you for your presence during this time of ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.